Good morning, church. All right, well, we are in Genesis. We are in chapter 39 this morning. We've been going through Genesis since uh, January of last year. We are going to go through chapter 39. And as I said last Sunday, when you contrast uh, Joseph that we'll see in this chapter today with Judah, as we saw in last chapter of Genesis in chapter 38, uh, you're going to see somewhat uh, of a of stark contrast between the two people, uh, especially in the context of sexual temptation or sexual immorality. You're going to see why they referred to Jacob as the, why Jacob referred to Joseph. I always get all those J names. <laughs> Why Jacob referred to Joseph as the son of his old age, you're going to understand why he referred to him that way. Because if you remember, I told you that that phrase aptly translated means son of old age, or basically what it's saying is, is the son who was wise beyond his years. So when you understand, when you see this picture of how Joseph responds in his younger age to sexual temptation, as compared to how Judah in his older age responded in that same way, you can see how, why that Jacob thought Joseph, you could quit naming all his sons with the letter J, uh, why he thought he was a wiser than his years, right? Because Judah had adapted, we saw that Judah had adapted when he left, he, had got, he was in Rome, do as the Romans attitude. And Joseph, of course, having been sold into slavery uh, to the Ishmaelites and then sold again to the Egyptians, was, was not walking like an Egyptian in that sense, right? Though he probably looked like an Egyptian. But instead, he was living as one who feared God. He was living set apart from the surrounding culture, even though he was in captivity, right, of that culture. And he was living a life unto the Lord, regardless of his circumstances. And because of that, the Lord was with him. And as we'll see today, the Lord caused all that he did to succeed, Right? And not only was Joseph blessed, but was, so were the Egyptians, mm-hmm. and which is something for you to remember in your jobs. So there's a lot for us to learn and to take heart from in this chapter, so let's jump right in. We're going to do Genesis chapter 39. It's only 23 verses. So it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house... She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, 
She called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this great message that you have this morning. I pray, Lord, that your spirit speak it to us. I pray, Lord, that you help work this out in our hearts, and you just apply this to our lives, and we can see the lesson that you have for us this morning, the lesson that can be applied to us right here, right now, in the lives that we live, in the 24-7 daily grind of, of life. So I thank you for that, Lord, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So it tells us at the beginning, of course, that Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, right? He was sold to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites sold him to Potiphar. Potiphar was the captain of the guard. He was an Egyptian. It says four times in the chapter that Potiphar is an Egyptian. You would think that he's in Egypt. You don't need to remind me that Potiphar is an Egyptian, but probably the reason that they're reminding you four times that Potiphar is an Egyptian is that the bulk of the people living in Egypt at that time were not Egyptians, Okay. So there's many different rules and reigns of people who took over Egypt. They have a very long history. And there was a time when there was foreign invaders called the Hyksos who came in and ruled and were the pharaohs over Egypt. And they believed that they were in rule at the time that Joseph was down there. All right, Which is why later on, when it get into Exodus, that said that the pharaoh of Moses' day knew Joseph not. It was because, it, you know, obviously, one, a completely different pharaoh, and two, Egyptian. Right? The Hyksos people were more Semitic, so they were actually more uh, in line with actually Joseph himself than with Egyptians. So that's probably why they're reminding you that Potiphar is an Egyptian four times is because it was actually uncommon. All right? Anyway, that's besides the point. Egypt at this time was more of a land of small villages. There were a couple of large cities in Egypt. They were inhabited by peasants mainly who worked the land for grain and vegetables. They had an irrigation system that surpassed most irrigation systems that would put your irrigation system uh, to shame. If you saw how the Egyptians did things, it was, uh, it was supplied by water from the yearly flooding of the Nile. The Egyptians, of course, we know as they studied the heavens and the earth, they developed a 365-day-and-a-quarter calendar. They were well-known for their medicines. They perfected embalming. If you ever wanted to know how to be embalmed, right? And they knew the art of war. They were great builders. They had a large bureaucratic government with many officials. They had thousands and thousands of scribes to keep records. Egyptian records are some of the most detailed. Matter of fact, there is proof of the, not only just the Exodus, but of the plagues upon Egypt that God brought within the Egyptian records themselves, if you study them. So... They had many slaves, the Egyptians did. And like I said, a lot of the slaves were Semitic slaves, like Joseph. But Joseph stood apart from the rest of the slaves. And why did Joseph stand apart from the rest of the slaves? Right? Because the Lord was with him. 
right? The Lord was with Joseph. It tells us four times in this chapter, right here in verse 1 and in verse 3 and verse 21 and verse 23, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. It says that the Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed. The Lord gave him favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Here's the thing. The Egyptians were shackled by religious superstition. Right? The Egyptians had over 2,000 gods. How can you even keep track of that many? Of that many gods, right? Which included the Pharaoh himself, and it included gods such as Ra, the sun god, and, and Apis, the sacred bull, etc. And they were a people devoted as much to death as they were to life because they spent their entire life pretty much preparing for death. Do you understand? Preparing for the afterlife when Osiris would judge their deeds. So when the one true God whom Joseph truly served, made Joseph successful, and with that made them successful. Right As it tells us in verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was in all that he had in house and field. When that happened, they took notice. They paid attention. Right? Joseph's life was a testimony to the true and living God, and they saw it because it was, make, it was blessing their lives. The blessings of the Lord were evident to the Egyptians, and they clearly understood that Joseph was the reason why. So it says in verse 6 that he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, right? And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. That was it, right? So his boss only worried about what he was eating, and he worried about nothing else because Joseph took care of everything else, and everything that Joseph did succeeded. Who doesn't want someone like that working for him, Right? I mean, if you run a business, that's the employee you want right there, right? And so they gave Joseph more and more responsibilities. Potiphar was the captain of the guard, which means basically he was the chief of police. And so he made Joseph his personal servant, and he made him the overseer of his household, as it tells us. And he put him in charge of all that he had. So you're, maybe you have a question. Maybe you're like, well, why did the Lord bless Joseph so much? Well, he was in captivity. Did the Lord feel sorry for him? Right? Was this out of pity? But it wasn't anything like that. It's nothing like that for you either. Right? I mean, yes, he was in captivity. He'd been sold into slavery, but, but, but it wasn't because the Lord felt sorry for him. Oh, I've, you know, man, Joseph, I just, it's so bad that your brother sold you off into slavery. I wish that hadn't happened. I feel a little sorry for you, so I'm going to kind of shuffle some blessings your way just to help you feel better about the fact that you're a slave. Sorry that they told your brother, your father, you're dead. Sorry about all that. You know, sorry that they mistreated you. But that God wasn't blessing him because of any of that. It wasn't because he had been mistreated. It wasn't because you know he felt sorry for him. It was because Joseph knew a simple truth, which is that success measured by God is different than how man measures it. Right. And so Joseph did his best in the situation that he was in, and didn't wait for his situation to improve. He's like, this is where the Lord has me. This is where the Lord must want me. Therefore, I'm going to do my work unto the Lord. Right? So he understood that God could use him and that God could bless him right where he was. So he did his work unto the Lord, and the Lord caused all that he did to prosper because he did his work unto the Lord. Do we have that attitude? Or do we get stuck in those situations where we're like, man, I hate this. Right? I don't want to be here. Hopefully the next best thing is coming quick. Hopefully the Lord's going to take me out of this spot and put me in the spot that I really want to be in. 
Or do we put, or we start doing the work for the Lord regardless of where we are, regardless of the circumstances that we're in? I mean, if you, if you, I know some of you are retired, okay, but I'm not, all right? I got two jobs. My wife is working now. She hasn't worked for a long time, but she's back working now. Does your boss see and understand this, right? Do your friends see and understand this basic simple truth that what you do, you do for the Lord, Right? Have they noticed the difference that Jesus makes in your life? Right? By the way that you work, by the way that you approach work, right? Getting up day after day, regardless of your aching bones, right? Regardless of the blood, sweat, and tears, regardless of the long hours, regardless of the low pay or the no pay at all, as it may be. Right? Regardless of the circumstances, it doesn't matter what. I mean, I don't I don't brag on my wife, but she's been told by I mean, where does it work again? <laughs> Car, no, Carter's? Carter's, she's been told, man, I wish we could find more people like you, right? I wish we could hire more people like you because she doesn't sit around like this, like the young, uh, nope, not picking on anybody young, right? Doesn't sit around at her job like this. <laughs> flick, 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 right? That's not how she sits around at her job. She finds work to do, regardless if it's busy or it's slow. And frankly, in the economy that we're in right now, it's kind of slow out there in a lot of the retail fields and a lot of the stores are struggling, struggling because they don't have the, the inventory, the stock. They're just not getting stuff in to ship or to sell. And so it's, it can be slow. She can have slow days. I have slow days at my other job as well, but my job's a little different. But, uh, you know, do you find something to do in those situations because you understand that the work you're doing is for the Lord? Or do you sit around going, oh, man, this is terrible. Wish I could find something else to do. Has you, right? Or are you just complaining? What's your boss seeing? What's your family seeing? What's your friend seeing? You know, Jeremiah wrote to the exiles, to Israel. In, in Jeremiah 29, 7, he wrote this to the exiles. He said, seek the welfare of the city of where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Right? Through Jeremiah, the Lord was telling the exiles, listen, pray and seek for the welfare of where I have sent you. I know it's not where you want to be. Right? I know you're exiled from the land, but seek and pray for the welfare of that city where I have sent you. Right? Because in its welfare, you will find your welfare. welfare. Peter wrote this. If you want a New Testament verse, it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every wrote this in 1 Peter 2. Right? He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. You know that, that even though he was in captivity, Joseph was living as someone who was free. His brothers were in more bondage than he was because of their sexual immorality even though they were free. But he was, though in bondage, more free than they were. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is his gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows where suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Paul wrote this to the churches in Colossae. He said, slaves in all things obey those who are 
are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. The thing is, is that Joseph had never read any of those scriptures because they didn't exist at the time. But yet he knew that. He knew all those things. He put them into practice. He understood that it was the Lord that he served, not man. See, when we get put in difficult situations, what do we do? We complain. I'm a good complainer. Right? Our attitude during this time could have possibly, if we were stuck in this situation like Joseph, our attitude during this time could have possibly been, you know, woe is me. Or, or why does the Lord hate me so? Right? Is it, have you said that one? <laughs> why does the Lord hate me? He must hate me to put me in this situation. Right? I mean, we might have spent our time grumbling and depressed, right? I mean, have you ever worked a job you didn't like? Have you ever had that job you didn't like? But during that time, were you thankful for the job? Because it was paying your bills regardless of the fact that you didn't like it? Or did you just spend your time being miserable? It tells us in Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Right? And then right before that in Philippians 2.13, it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, which is why you should be doing all things without grumbling or complaining. And then it tells us in verse 15, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, when you're doing your work unto the Lord in a crooked and a twisted generation, which surprisingly not is the generation we live in, right? You're shining as a light. When they see you and you're doing the labor and you're doing the hard work and you're quote unquote, maybe you even feel like this, a slave in shackles, right? You're a light. You're a light shining. You're a light shining in the world. So Joseph did his work unto the Lord. He was shining as a light in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, and therefore the Lord blessed him. And so that's the first thing I want you to take away from this chapter. Right? If you're taking notes, you should have written that down. Apply this to your job. Apply this to your retirement. Right? Apply this to anything and everything that you do. Do it heartily as unto the Lord, because it is the Lord you serve. Right? Or it should be. So when we're continuing on, we find out then, after that, Joseph, of course, with success comes what? Temptation. Right? It's true. The more you successful you get in life, the more things start going your way, the more people start noticing how successful you are, temptation comes your way. And it was the same for Joseph. Even though Joseph was a slave, even though, you know, Temptation came his way, and it says in verse 7, you know, it says, tells us that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it tells us in verse 7 that his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Right? So the master's wife looked at, with desire at Joseph. Now, it is one thing to note that Potiphar was probably a eunuch. It was pretty common practice for the men who served Pharaoh uh, to become a eunuch, Uh, so that their loyalty would not be divided, as it were. Right? They wanted their, their loyalty to be to the Pharaoh only, so they, they 
uh, obediently became a eunuch. It, it wasn't forced upon them. They made the choice. If they wanted the job, they became a eunuch. So <clears throat> this probably means that Potiphar either was married before he got the job as captain of the guard, or his wife married him strictly for a status. Right? He was the captain of the guard, so I'm going to marry him, even though he's a eunuch. Okay? Now, adultery in the Egyptian culture was severely punished. Severely punished. Believe it or not, the Egyptians had a strict moral code when it came to adultery. If you got caught doing adultery, it was death. It was severely punished. That being said, if your husband's a eunuch, there was an expectation that your wife would find her pleasure elsewhere. So in those situations, they kind of had a blind eye. They kind of turned a blind eye to, the, you know, to what was going on. And so, you know, Joseph being handsome as he was, right, and Potiphar's wife desiring him, she kept trying to seduce him. Every time he came in the house, that probably made work a little uncomfortable, I would assume. Every time he came in, she was like, Joseph, 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 right? right? However, Joseph serving the Lord, right? Joseph had integrity, right? And he handles the situation rather well. Much better than his brother Judah, for example, may have handled it, right? If you remember the last chapter. And we can learn from this. So, just remember though, everyone will be tempted. All right? Everyone will be tempted. No one is exempt. Everyone here will be tempted or has been tempted. And often temptation comes after we start getting successful. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us this. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So you should be aware. Everyone will be tempted. Satan's looking to trip you up somehow. Right? But also remember this, 1 Corinthians 10. We quote this verse a lot, but do you believe it? Right? 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man, which means you're being tempted in a way in which every other person has been tempted. It's not new to you. It's not new. It's not a new way of temptation. You're not being tempted in a way no one's ever been tempted you know, in history. No, it's common to man. And it tells us this, God is faithful, right? who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also. Now, escaping is up to you, but he'll provide the way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. And Joseph, knowing that, right? Joseph, what did he do? Joseph said, no. Right? He saw a way of escape, and he said, no. He refused. Right? He knew that this was another man's wife. He knew that that other man was his boss, and he wasn't going to violate that trust. They had a great relationship. His boss had put everything in Joseph's hands except for, and he knew this, his wife, right? And so he makes his faith known to her. He tells her that if he did this great wickedness, that this sin would be against God, all right? That's something that Judah, for example, didn't know. He didn't realize that until after the fact. Joseph knew it before the fact. If I was to do this great and wicked sin, I'm sinning against God. This wickedness is against God. I'm serving the Lord. I'm not, I'm not serving you. 
Right? This isn't a sin against my boss. This isn't a sin against his wife. This is a sin against the Lord. He knew, Joseph knew and understood who he was truly serving and truly, who he'd truly be sinning against, which was the Lord. He knew that even if no one else found out about it, God would know about it, right? God would know, and this would be great wickedness in the eyes of God. This is something that David knew, for example. David wrote, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment, right? Because there's nothing that the Lord doesn't see, nothing. Not one thing. So Joseph refused her, and he kept refusing her over and over again. It says she tried day after day. Like I said, that makes the workplace a little uncomfortable. Right? But Joseph kept doing his job and kept refusing her, right? kept refusing her advances. No, 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 no. Let me give you a little picture from Proverbs concerning what this kind of looked like. This isn't specifically about this situation, but it's a picture about the adulterous woman. It's from Proverbs chapter 7. And it says this, And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. And with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. Joseph knew. Joseph kind of knew this. All this seduction that's kind of described out here in Proverbs is something that he saw, but he understood the problem is that if he took that step, if he, if he fell into that temptation, it would really cost him his life because he was sinning against God. So since everything else failed for her, one day she sends all the other servants of the household out. Right? I'm going to be alone. It's only going to be me and him. And when Joseph comes in, she grabs him by the garment. Right? And Joseph, he just does, immediately just takes off. He just flees the house. And leaves the garment behind. This is the second time he's lost a garment, but this time it was for a good cause, right? He, he just flees and leaves the garment behind. That's sound advice, right? The sound advice here is quit lingering in the presence of a temptation and flee, right? Spurgeon says, slavery itself was a small calamity compared with that which would have happened to young Joseph had he been enslaved by wicked passions. He fleed. And just so you're aware, flee means run away, right? Run Run, Joseph, run, right? Run away. Don't stand your ground. And the reason I say that is because we as men sometimes think we're so strong, we're going to stand in the face of temptation, we're going to be like, not today, temptation, when we're supposed to be running from it, okay? We're, we're out there like Gandalf facing the Balrog, and if you haven't watched The Lord of the Rings, you have no clue what I'm talking about, but we're out there like Gandalf facing the Balrog, right? He's got the staff. He's like, you shall not pass. 
And he thinks that he's beat that demonic creature, but what happens at the last? If you remember the film, the tail of that demonic creature comes up, snares his leg, and pulls him down. That's what it's like. Trust me, when it says run, run. When it says flee, flee. Run away. Listen, standing firm in your faith means flee. Right? It means flee. There's no shame in running. It is not cowardice. Fleeing is evidence of Joseph's character and his integrity. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Right? Self-control builds character and integrity. Self-control prepares you for leadership. When we live our life like a broken city with no walls, walls aren't a bad thing. They help keep things out. When we allow anything to get in or come out in our lives like that, well, then our life could end up like a pile of rubble, like that broken city. So self-control may involve fleeing. Self-control may involve building walls, right? Sorry, I don't do that. I don't go there. I don't, right? I don't watch those movies or whatever it may be. That's not a bad thing to do that. It's not a bad thing, right? Matter of fact, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Right, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So flee temptation, because many a good man has been ruined by not doing so. Right? It's a Billy Graham rule, guys. Right? If you know the Billy Graham rule. The Billy Graham rule is, it's basically a code of conduct that's been you know, adopted by many evangelical leaders, but what Billy did is he avoided his time, he avoided spending time alone with women that he was not married to. Matter of fact, he only broke that rule a couple times. And one of the times was with Hillary, Hillary Clinton, of all people, right? But she convinced him that he could meet her in a public place, even though he would be with her, just her, and no one else would be there, but they'd be in a public place. So they had a lunch in a public restaurant surrounded by people, but it was just him and her. There was no one else from his group or her group or whatever, right? But anyway, and people mocked Billy Graham for having the Billy Graham rule. I'm going to tell you, though, was there any sex scandal with Billy Graham? No, none. There's a lot of other pastors that should have learned and paid attention to that Billy Graham rule, right? So flee sexual immorality. It tells us this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Flee idolatry, as it also tells us in 1 Corinthians. We should be running from these things, right? Take that to heart. Flee sexual immorality. Fleeing's not shameful. And the reason it's not shameful is that when we flee temptation and sin, when we turn away from it and run the other direction, what are we doing? We're pursuing righteousness. That's what we're doing. Right? 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. And then what does it say? Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Right? 2 Timothy 2.22 So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, right? Turn away from evil, as it tells us in 1 Peter, and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. 1 Peter there, he's actually just quoting Psalms 34. That's what he's quoting, right? So flee. It's another thing for you to write down. Another thing for you to learn from this chapter. Right? That, take that to heart. Now, one of the last things I want to go over you should take to heart was just this simple thing. 
God was with Joseph. It was the first and the last thing we read in the chapter. Right? It's in verse 1. It's in the last verse of the chapter as well. And if you go through this, and specifically if you look at Joseph's life, there are some things that you can see about God being with him. Right? So, so there are things that it did and things that it did not do. Okay? So God was with Joseph. What it did not do was it did not keep him from being hated by his brothers. Right? What it did not do was it did not keep him from being sold into slavery. Right? What it did not do was it did not keep him from sexual temptation. He was still tempted. Right? What it did not do was it did not keep him from false accusations. Right? It did not keep him from imprisonment. Right? We read that Joseph, I mean, she, she falsely accuses him of trying to basically sexually attack her. And you notice he never defends himself. We're talking about Joseph being a picture of Christ and all the different ways you can see a picture of Christ in Joseph. Here's one. He never defended himself. Right? Christ never defended himself either. Right? He patiently endured while suffering unjustly. That's a characteristic of Christ that we have the most difficult time developing. Right? It is the most Christ-like of traits. Right? In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, right? Mindful of God. Who are you serving? God. Right? One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Right? But when you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Same for you. And you might have thought, since Potiphar was the captain of the guard, you might have thought that Joseph would go to trial, or Joseph would be executed, or you know, something more harsher might have happened to him, actually. But instead, all Potiphar does, it says that Potiphar's anger, his anger was kindled, but it doesn't say it was specifically kindled towards Joseph. His anger was kindled, one, because he was losing someone who was a great blessing to him, and he was <laughs> succeeding, right? He was having a lot of success because of Joseph. So he was angry about the fact that he was losing, jo- losing Joseph, but he was also probably angry at his wife because he probably understood exactly what happened, right? But he couldn't treat it like as if it didn't happen, so he had to put Joseph in jail. So he puts him in jail. I mean, Potiphar was probably in charge of the executions, mind you, right? So he had to put Joseph in jail, but the Lord was with Joseph. And whatever he did, the Lord made Joseph prosper, even in jail. Psalms 105 describes this period of Joseph's life. Psalms 105, verses 12 through 22. I'll read it for you. It says, referring to Israel, it says, when they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, referring to the land of Canaan, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he, referring to the Lord, summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he, referring to the Lord, had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. 
His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. And it says, until what he said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Which means that when Joseph started, uh, when, they started give, when they start giving him the dreams and he start telling them what the dreams mean, until, those, until they actually see that come true, right? That's a time when the, when the word of the Lord tested him. It was testing him because they were keeping him in jail the entire time until they saw that it started coming true. And then they're like, dude, we want you. We want you to work up here. You know, I want you to work for the Pharaoh directly. So the king sent and released him. The rulers of the people set him free. And he made him lord of his house and ruler of his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. So the Lord was with Joseph even in jail. But also remember that the Lord put Joseph there. It says that he did. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Right? The Lord sent Joseph ahead of Israel to prepare the way so that when they would come down later, he could provide for them. And this is all building and testing and growing Joseph to do the role that the Lord has for him to do a role greater than he already had. And he already had a great role right, in the house of Potiphar, but now he's been put in jail and he's going to come out of that and he's going to get into a greater role. It's because the Lord is blessing everything that he did. So think about that when you're going through things in life. One, the Lord put you there. Two, the Lord is with you. Three, you're doing your work unto the Lord. And four, the Lord is probably trying to grow you and prepare you for something he has greater for you to do later. How long that time will be? Who knows? Joseph spent 11 years in the service of Potiphar before he goes to serve the Pharaoh. It could be 11 years. We often think sometimes when we're serving the Lord that we're going to go quickly from one thing to another, right? All right, he's got me here, but he's going to put me here soon, and then I'm going to jump up here, and it's going to be really great, right? Well, what if that one period of time is 20 years? What if that one period of time is 10 years? What if that one period of time is longer than the 30 seconds you want it to be, right? Just be patient on the Lord. So those are some of the things that, you know, the Lord being with him did not do. It didn't keep him from being hated. It didn't keep him from being sold as a slave. It didn't keep him from facing sexual temptation or false accusations. It didn't keep him from prison. But this is what it did do. It kept him from sin. God being with him kept him from sin. Right? It gave him victory despite the circumstances that he was in. And we see that play out as we go through this. It caused him to reign. Right? Because he will be put in a position of authority. He was already in one, he'll be put in the greater one. And it caused him to see adversity in a new light. And that's one of the things that the Lord is really trying to get you to see too. When we go through adversity, see it in a new light. See it through the lens of God's word and what it says. Don't just think, well, it was me. Thank Lord, what, it, what do you have for me here? Right? See it in a new light. Joseph later, as we know, when we get to the end of this book, eventually in June or July or whenever we finish, right? Joseph will say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He was able to see the adversity completely different than a lot of us if we had been put in that same situation. So here's the thing. This was all only possible because Joseph himself submitted to the Lord. Because he knew that the work he was doing, despite being a slave and despite being in chains, right, he knew that the work he was doing was for the Lord. Right? James 4, 7, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee for you. It starts with, all of this starts with submitting yourself to God. 
If you're not going to submit yourself to God, you're not going to be able to resist the devil. If you're not going to submit yourself to God, you're never going to flee from sexual immorality. You're never going to flee from temptation. You're never going to flee from idolatry if you don't first submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God first. Right? Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is submitting yourself to God. Right? Because we're yielding to Him and to His control and allowing the Lord to lead us. Right? It tells us in Romans 6, Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law but under grace. So submit yourself. Submit your body to God. Resist the devil. Draw close to God. Submit yourself to him. Walk by the Spirit. Listen, Joseph didn't know exactly what God was going to do or how God was going to do it, but he knew that God was faithful and he knew that God was with him. And that was enough. For him to continue to serve the Lord despite his circumstances. Right? And it should be enough for you too. Right? Cling to God's promises. Trust in the Lord. Or as it says in James 1, uh, verses 2 through 4, it says, Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Right? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Right? And yet, st- and So let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And it starts with submitting yourself to God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word, and I pray, Lord, that you just work this out in us this week and all the time, quite frankly, because we need this. Remind us, Lord, that you are with us in everything that we do, and in everything that we do, we should be doing unto you. So we thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the strength of your word. We thank you for the power of your word and the power of your spirit. And we pray, Lord, you just continue to work it through us and through our hearts. We thank you, Lord that you are with us. In the midst of adversity, Lord, let us see it in a new light. In the midst of whatever we go through, whether it be small things or big things, and you know, you know our lives and you know what we go through, but we just pray, Lord, that we can be a light in the darkness, that we can continue to shine out in this world of, of evil, that we can just be a light of hope and a beacon to point people to the truth found in your word and the truth found in Christ Jesus. So we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.